The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Fearless, Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and you're listening live today on W4WN, the Women for Women Network. As you know, my mission is to help women around the world make healthy choices to live happier lives and turn setbacks into stepping stones. I do it through my own life and writing and counseling and coaching. And I like sharing amazing stories from inspiring women that can help inspire you to live life on your terms. I hope you uh, settle in because this is going to be a great show, particularly if you are uh, interested in travel, um, among other things. Um, I am a passionate traveler, and when I wrote, when I was diagnosed with stage 2A breast cancer in August 2009, so 20 years ago, um, actually 10 years ago, sorry, uh, 10 years ago, um, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. I travel a lot. If you follow me on um, my social media channels, you'll see that and a lot of it's for work, a lot of it's for pleasure. And I found that uh, my breast cancer diagnosis was a journey I was not prepared for uh, at all, including the language that is spoken in breast cancer land. Uh, and that's why I ended up writing my navigational book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide, because I felt that there was a need to create a navigational travel guide to the journey you didn't expect to take and you didn't really want to get out alive. And that's the journey to cancer land. Um, that was my purpose when I uh, completed treatment, because when you do complete treatment, your life is Besides getting your life reset, you decide you want to set it in a new direction. Many, many cancer survivors that I have interviewed uh, have discussed how they suddenly, uh, they realized during the process of becoming well that they wanted to change their life. My guest today is a great example of this. And because um, I just set it up to say that I'm passionate about travel, that's what really sparked the story because I'm approached by a lot of cancer survivors that have an amazing story to share, especially about how they changed their lives and became more purposeful. Uh, this story resonated uh, in a huge way. So my guest today uh, was diagnosed at uh, age 30, also in 2009, like me, with breast cancer. Her name is Terry Wingham, and she uh, will share her diagnosis, but we're also going to talk about the nonprofit she started called A Fresh Chapter, which really helps uh, cancer survivors heal after in the aftermath of treatment. And one of the ways um, that A Fresh Chapter does this is through meaningful in uh, in engaged, immersive travel experiences. So Terry Wingham, welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a true pleasure to be with you today. 
So Terry, um, I like to start with the backstory. Uh, a diagnosis at 30 of breast cancer is young. And for those who are listening, um, even though the average age of diagnosis is you know, 60, uh, it is a disease that um, is an equal opportunity disease for women of all ages and men. Uh, 30 is a young age. I'm curious, what was going on in your life uh, around that time? And uh, did you have any inkling, like a family history of breast cancer or anything? So I, I suppose it was a blessing and a curse that I found out I was high risk for breast cancer at the age of 19. And so my family, my dad's family, was one of the first 10 families studied in Canada where I was born and raised uh, for the BRCA1 gene mutation. And so I learned while I was still in college that I had um, a high risk of both breast and ovarian cancer and wasn't quite sure what to do with that. You know, I spent my 20s um, being screened, uh, was very lucky to be part of a genetic surveillance surveillance program in Vancouver. And so I, even though I knew I was high risk, I just didn't think cancer would catch up with me until I was older. And I really wanted to get married and have a family. And so I sort of had put off any sort of prophylactic surgeries, but my cancer was diagnosed through an MRI, uh, when I was 30. Wow. Wow. That's, um, it's interesting, uh, that you knew, uh, from age 19 that you were in high risk. Most people don't know that. I mean, I have the bracket too, and I didn't know Terry until after I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, did you have, um, you said you had the gene, I did, did you say you had a family history, close relatives who had been diagnosed with either ovarian or breast or related cancers? Yes. Yeah, so the gene was discovered through my dad's uh, family. So his uh-huh. mother and two of her sisters had ovarian cancer in pretty quick succession in the 80s. Mm-hmm. My paternal aunt had breast cancer. And then my second cousin, who was found to have the gene, was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 27. Wow. And so that's why my screening began at 23. Well, I think it's good that um, you were aware of that because, as I said, most people are not and that you were aggressive with your screening um, because that, as you said, it was a blessing and a curse because it probably has saved your life. Did you also have dense breasts? Because many did. young women did, yeah. So for for those who are listening, and, and I do want everyone to know you're listening to Fearless Fabulous You on W4WN. If you go to W4WN.com, you can also type in some questions. I will choose and answer them along the way or ask Terry too if you have questions about this. But dense breasts um, are actually more common with young women who don't know they have them. And it uh, it's you know more fatty tissue. And what that does is it makes um, irregularities harder to detect on a regular mammogram. So why I'm bringing that up before we move further is there is an organization called rudense.org um, to help you understand more about that. But you should talk to your OBGYN and ask, do I have dense breasts and find out? Because if you do, you may need to have other types of diagnostic tests to make sure that you're um, getting what you need in terms of surveillance and, and, and checking for any irregularities. Right, Carrie? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you went through just give us a little bit about what you went through in terms of um, the, you know, once you were diagnosed, um, what stage you were and what kind of treatment you went through and, and, and surgery just to give us an um, idea for anyone. And I'm saying this really because I have just had two friends and colleagues diagnosed and they're going through this right now. So, When I was diagnosed, um, I was, I think you'd asked me what was going on in my life. And so even though I knew that I was um, high risk, I really 
was focused on my career. I was a headhunter in the technology industry. I was single. I was really hoping to meet someone and get married and have kids. Mm -hmm. And so for me, even though I knew my risk factor, I was still blindsided by the diagnosis. And so still was a little bit surprised by that. I thought I would be more at peace with getting cancer somehow because I knew about my risk, but it was still just as jarring and shocking to me. And Mm -hmm. so um, I immediately met with a surgeon. Um, they they advised an initial lumpectomy and lymph node dissection. So I think I had that surgery a couple of weeks later. And then from there, um, they staged it. It was a grade three triple negative tumor. Uh, so again, very grateful that it was detected through an MRI. It wasn't, it wasn't detectable by feel or through a mammogram. And so I am alive today, I believe, because of a very um, dedicated radiologist who didn't feel like from a Um, the regular biopsy, she got the right tissue. So she advised an MRI guided biopsy. So that's kind of how it started with the lumpectomy and lymph node dissection. And once they staged it, they said, you know, given your family history and the aggressiveness of the cancer, we want you to go through chemotherapy. So I had four rounds of chemotherapy and then um, they advised a prophylactic double mastectomy Mm -hmm. and I had opted for reconstruction. I did not have to do radiation um, because I chose the, the mastectomy. Had I'd decided to just go with the lumpectomy, I would have had to have radiation as well. Right, because uh, with the lumpectomy, radiation is usually recommended. Uh, I've noticed a lot of uh, women that I've spoken to, a number of them are, are having uh, chemotherapy prior to their mastectomy, which is interesting because I did it the other way. Um, so I want to just use this time to say everybody's uh, individual diagnosis and situation are different. Triple negative um, breast cancer is, is, a, is a very specific type of breast cancer. It's harder to treat. It can be more aggressive. So your doctors advised you, and wisely, they were more aggressive also because you had dense breasts, to do an MRI. Because as we said earlier, you can't necessarily detect um, irregularities and and, and um, uh, tumors or, or uh, lumps through uh, a regular mastectomy when you have denser breasts. I mean, I'm sorry, um, not a mastectomy, sorry, mammogram with denser breasts. So... Um, from what I'm reading on, on a freshchapter.com website, uh, your final surgery was in 2011. So I would assume that through your um, mastectomy and then you went through reconstruction? That's correct. That was the final stage of my reconstructive process in 2011. I'm just curious, did you have uh, implants or another type? Because I'm, I'm dealing with right now, Terry, the textured implants that were recalled. So am I. Oh, <laughs> how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, I, I have an appointment, or I'm getting an appointment with my plastic surgeon to to discuss that further because I've, I've you know I've heard and I'm no expert when it comes to this, but typically implants have a ten year shelf life, and so yes. I received a letter saying the risk of surgery was more than the risk of keeping the implants in, but I want to have that discussion now that we're almost at ten years to really look at, you know, what are my options in terms of next steps. Well, Terry, I received the same letter from the fabulous Dr. Joseph Disa, who's been on the show to discuss just this topic from Sloan Kettering. I immediately called him to be on the show. And then I got the recall notice, like we all did, and I actually am seeing him Friday in two days for the same reason. And yes, there is a 
all surgery is risky. But um, like you said, and I also learned that there's a 10-year shelf life to your breast, which I want to know what happens to them after 10 years anyway. I mean, do they explode? <laughs> I mean, you know, know. it's already bad enough that they're potentially, <laughs> they're potentially risk of a rare cancer. But what else happens? I also find them incredibly uncomfortable anyway, which is a whole nother topic um, mm-hmm. and itchy. So I'm going in to weigh my options as well. And, and, and I'm going to weigh them carefully because all uh, surgery is good. But that's a smart move. And, and as I understand, Terry, a lot of women are making that appointment right now because the problem is you don't really know now that there's a, a risk that the FDA has taken note of. You really don't know what else is going to happen after that. It's a Absolutely. lot of unanswered questions. So um, I want to get to uh, the emotional aftermath of uh, going through your um, experience because many including myself, many dynamic women who have very, very successful careers and are on top of everything, as you clearly were as a successful headhunter in the technology sector, you obviously were very successful um, in a big industry, growing industry, but uh, things happen after uh, you go through uh, this experience. I know it did for me, but tell me what happened to you emotionally and where you were in terms of the life you were living. I think the emotional aftermath caught up with me once I got through the physical side. I know each of us are are different. Our stories are all really different. But I feel like when I was going through the thick of chemo and surgery, I felt really loved and supported by my community. Um, I felt like, oh, I'm going to bounce back from this. You know, I'm going to be fine. And it was as I was coming up to my final surgery and really grappling with what now? Do I go back to work um, or not? What do I do? That I really found myself grappling with emotions that I hadn't anticipated. I felt really depressed for the first time in my life. I had a lot of survivor guilt. I was really angry that, um, you know, I I loved that my friends were getting married and having children, but I Mm -hmm. felt really angry that my life hadn't taken that path. Mm -hmm. And so I really was blindsided by, by that emotional aftermath and really grappled with, do I go back to that industry? And, and I was really lucky that I had, um, good benefits with my last company. I was able to go on, on long-term disability, my oncologist advised it. She knew I was very type A and had a high stress job. And so she wanted me to take time off while I was going through the thick of treatment. And I think that allowed me to have this perspective as I was coming back sort of out the other side of treatment of thinking about, do I go back to the life I had before, which I had loved? You know, I really enjoyed being a headhunter. I was I, I was someone who really... Um, enjoyed the competition, the thrill, the supporting people. Um, but it just didn't seem, it seemed more hollow after cancer. I just couldn't get myself to be excited about whether I negotiated a higher margin uh, for somebody's placement. I couldn't get myself excited to be the, you know, the first person to call a candidate for a potential job. I just really thought there's got to be more to life and there's got to be a way to take this really dark experience that I've just been through and turn it into something positive as I, as I know, you know, and understand from your own story. Absolutely. I mean, when I, I was, I did not take time off and, and I got to tell you, Terry, cause I was just, I had to, you know, I was running a company. What was I going to do? Walk away from my company. You know, I didn't have that security. I had a great staff, but they were very supportive of me and t- took a lot of my load off. So I could kind of hibernate a little bit in my apartment and work remotely. But I, like you, um, I loved what I did loved, Mm -hmm. you know, eating and drinking and traveling the world and producing amazing culinary events and and, and being in the center of everything in the food and beverage world really was a great high. And I felt hollow afterwards as well. 
And I also believe that the pressure I put myself under to build a successful company had snuck up on me and I'd neglected my health. And so I didn't have survivor guilt. I had a different kind of guilt. I had, what the hell did you do? I, I screwed up guilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, I had, you screwed up. Uh, guilt and I, I, I like you know, I anguished over it and it was hard because everybody's no a lot of people don't understand a lot of that support does go away afterward and they expect you to go back to the life you've had and they're like why are you moaning and groaning you 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 you're got your life back you're healthy you're well and and most people who do not go through the experience do not understand that it goes deeper than that mm-hmm. it goes way deeper now like me you love to travel and did you were you a traveler a lot while you were a headhunter and 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 doing that or did you start traveling more after you realized you needed to do something else with your life I think I always had a dream of travel. I grew up in a really small town in northern Canada. I didn't do a lot of travel as a child. But when I graduated high school, um a friend and I backpacked around Europe for five months. And so that really gave me that travel bug and helped me see that travel opens this portal to new perspectives and ways of looking at the world. Um, but then as a headhunter, it was really tricky to take time off, you know, and I, yeah. my, my uh, work was based in Vancouver, so I didn't need to travel for work and I would maybe get one week vacation at a time. And so it was after I went through treatment as I was grappling with what now and was really searching for, um, a way to feel inspired and engaged again in the world that I thought, you know, what if I could travel more? What if I could be someone who stepped out of my comfort zone in a different way? And I'd never been to Africa, but it was this idea of going and volunteering in another place that really propelled me out of feeling victimized by cancer and made me feel excited and empowered again. And then I've just traveled ever since. Well, it's a very empowering thing. I, I traveled all my life. For me, that was, I grew up like you. I just have to ask you, Terry, where in northern Canada? How far north were you? <laughs> so I grew up in a small town. Uh, my parents still live there. It's called Vanderhoof, which is about 10 hours drive north of Vancouver. Wow. I love Vancouver, by the way. I haven't been in a while, but I do love it. Um, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and and it's a great place now to live. But when I was there, it was a dump. It really was. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was travel. And from the moment my parents put me on my first plane ride with a big sticker around me going, you know, unaccompanied traveler, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had the hook. Um, And I just wanted to keep going. And I fortunately, because of my job, I was able to. Um, Traveling is very therapeutic because it steps you outside your comfort zone. It creates an educational and immersive experience. Um, It you see the world, you see the world from a different perspective, right? Absolutely. That's what um, my my initial trip in, in 2011 did for me. And I'd just been in such a dark place. I was coming up to my final surgery and was having those conversations with friends where they just said, you know, hey, when, when are you going to go back to work? When are you going to get back to normal? You know, I w- they really couldn't understand what a dark place I was in. And it was this search for inspiration that led me to volunteer in South Africa. And from the moment I made the decision, something shifted because I had something to look forward to. You know, when you're in the thick of treatment, you stop looking forward because forward just means more stuff you don't have to deal with. But when I got on that plane and I traveled to the other side of the world, I really shifted the way that I saw my my own story. And, you know, meeting people who'd lost 
family members to HIV or lived through the apartheid era um, or even struggled to feed and clothe their children, the women that I met through the underfunded daycare where I volunteered. It just mm -hmm. instantly made me see that struggle is universal, but so is resiliency. And I really was able to tap into my own resilience that I don't think I would have seen in the same way had I not shifted my perspective through that travel piece. Well, so you you did this amazing volunteer journey, which is great. And again, you you were lucky. You had um, a career that had benefits, which many people don't have. I, I you mm -hmm. know you were very very lucky. So for those of you who do have jobs and complain about them, don't complain so much. If you've got great benefits, I'm going to tell you right now, it can be beneficial. Um, you wrote a letter to Oprah. I did. Back and, when I started my blog. <laughs> yeah, so you started, like me, you started a blog. I started a blog, which I found for me writing was therapeutic. I kept a diary throughout my entire year and a half of cancer. It's in a big red book bound, just that book. Nothing else is written in but that period of time. But I started writing as well as therapy. And that was also when getting things off my chest started because I kept my cancer diagnosis a secret for two years because I was afraid I'd lose all my business and be destitute and on the street. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was fearful. And that's when I, I, I actually called a client who I'd had and worked my, you know, what off all that time during treatment, even with the Blackberry. Remember Blackberries in my, sure you know, I was getting, when I was getting an IV, you know, wheeling me into surgery, I'm still Blackberry the guy. And I said, I need to get something off my chest because I, I was unhappy with the contract and with the new PR person. And that's how getting things off my chest started. And, and wow. it changed a lot. Yeah. But like you, so you start with that, but you actually took a step further and wrote Oprah. What it's on, it's on the freshchapter.com website, but why did you write Oprah and what did you tell her? And what was, what happened after that? You know, it's interesting because I started the blog because I'd rediscovered a love of writing when I was sick. As as I as you said, I was really lucky that I didn't have to work, but I am someone who doesn't do being idle very well. <laughs> and so I took that opportunity to re-engage with writing and I decided I was going to write a book. And it was that book that has never been written that propelled me sort of through treatment. And I wrote the letter because someone had said, you know, if, if you want to get your book published, you need a blog, you need a platform. And so, you know, I thought who better, I was so, so charmingly naive <laughs> back then, but I thought who better to help me than Oprah. And I, at the time I didn't know any other young women that had a cancer. And I didn't realize that my story wasn't as unique as I thought it was, you know? So I thought for sure I'd hear back from Oprah and it was during the um, the craze around Eat, Pray, Love, which mm -hmm. some people love the book and some people don't, but I thought, oh, this is perfect and she can introduce me to Elizabeth Gilbert and my fresh chapter will be sealed, you know? I'll, mm -hmm. I'll be an author and I'll move forward and I'll do motivational speaking. But you know, the universe had other plans for me and it was in writing the blog that I started to travel more and started to have this idea of going to Africa and it was, in many ways, everything that I've done with a fresh chapter has started as something I've written publicly, because once you sort of make a statement about what you're going to do, you have to then make sure you actually do it. And so the blog for me became that. But Oprah did not uh, get back to me. I haven't met yeah. her yet. <laughs> Oprah, if you're listening, Terry <laughs> Wingham, fresh chapter, Oprah, <laughs> Oprah. I, listen, I wrote Oprah, too. I, 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 when I wrote, when I published, I did publish the book. Um, and I'm really glad I did because it's in its third edition now and it's helped a lot of people. Um, and I did send it to Oprah and I never heard back. I sent it to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. my little publicist, you know, in my little pink envelopes and my pink pen. And oh my God, I, I just really blew it out of the water. I got 
some stuff. I got a few people, but most public people never respond. You know who did respond? Governor Andrew Cuomo. Oh, wow. Because when Sandra Lee was diagnosed, I sent her in my little pink envelope. <laughs> you know, I sent it and I got the nicest letter back on behalf of Sandy and me. I want to thank you for your wonderful book. So somebody did respond. So remember, guys, ladies, keep writing the letters. Mm-hmm. Wells Fargo responded too when I boohooed about somebody being mean to me in, in my mortgage assistance. My, I was asking for help financially and they actually stepped up at the plate. Oh, you, you got it right. You got it right. So we've got a few more minutes and then we're going to take a break. But I want you, you decided after all was said and done that you were going to move on from your corporate life to start a nonprofit, which is it's actually a fresh chapter. Is it, an, it is a non, it says dot com, but it's a nonprofit, right? Yeah. So in the U.S., we have um, what's called fiscal sponsorship. So we're under the umbrella of social and environmental entrepreneurs, which oh. basically incubates a number of nonprofits, and we have their five hundred one c three status through um, C. So we are a nonprofit in the U.S. Okay. But you know, I think once a business person, always a business person, and so I always right. think about running the organization and growing the organization from a strategic standpoint, and really looking at building innovative corporate partnerships as a way to be able to grow and reach more people, um, mm-hmm. provide more scholarships, be able to do more in the world. And so, you know, I thought initially, you know, I'll start a nonprofit. I'm not going to go back to the stressful pace of my old life. And then I realized that. I'm, that's just how I'm wired. I'm always going to be someone with big dreams and aspirations, and I'm always going to think strategically from a business perspective. And so it's been quite an evolution, but um, it is a nonprofit in the U.S. that we treat very much like a business. All right. And so let's say what the mission of, I want to set it up, and then we're going to take a really short break. I want to set up what is the mission and purpose of a fresh chapter? Absolutely. So we use volunteering and meaningful travel to really help address the emotional scars of cancer. We help people reframe adversity and redefine what's possible in their lives. So it's about that service, the travel and um, psychosocial support to help people grieve what they've lost and be able to be open to new possibilities and opportunities in their lives, whether they're um, sort of in remission and going on to live a really long life or they're living with late stage disease, whether they're a man or a woman, it's really about how we can help people use service and perspective shifting experiences to heal. And these are trips all over the world, not just in the United States. Exactly. We run programs in South Africa, India, Peru, Costa Rica, um, and those programs have been primarily U.S. cancer patients and survivors that have traveled with us to volunteer in these other locations. But this September, we launch our first program in Kenya. It's a global emerging leaders program where we're bringing together U.S. cancer advocates and Kenyan cancer survivors and advocates together and alongside our partners at Eli Lilly and Company. And we're really looking at how can we create an experience so everybody has the ability to access the tools and resources that Fresh Chapters created but then look at how do we customize those for the Kenyan culture and really looking at how do we make sure our programming not only serves Americans, but that can bring um, tools and resources to people living with cancer in underdeveloped uh, regions of the world. So, so important, Terry, really important. So here's what we're going to do. And we're going to take a very short break and then 
after the break, uh, which is short listeners. Um, I'm going to chat with Terry a little bit, and then we're going to talk about um, ways to become involved in a fresh chapter and a little bit more detail on specific types of programs so that you can um, see if it's something that is of interest to support. Um, We're talking with Terry Wingham, who's the founder of A Fresh Chapter. Hi, this is Melanie Young, host of Fearless Fabulous You. If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with breast cancer, I urge you to read my book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer. This is a book I wish I'd had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August 2009. In it, I interview survivors who provide valuable insights on what they learn from going through breast cancer so they can help you make informed decisions and confident choices. I also talk to medical experts to learn the latest advancements on breast cancer treatment. And I provide important health tips on what to eat and how to care for yourself so you can stay as healthy and strong as you can every day you're through treatment. Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer is available on Amazon and you can buy it through my website, MelanieYoung.com and I'll send you an autographed copy. I want you to stay healthy in every aspect of your life and especially if you're facing a breast cancer diagnosis. So my message to you is stay fearless and fabulous always and in good health. And we're back. You're listening to Fearless Fabulous You. I'm your host, Melanie Young. Um, We're listening live on the Women for Women Network. That's W4WN.com, where I am taking online questions at W4WN.com with Terry Wingham, who is the founder of A Fresh Chapter. Just a reminder that this show and all my shows can be heard on iHeart.com, iTunes, and all major podcast platforms anytime, anywhere. Just go to um, the podcast platform, type in Fearless Fabulous You, click episodes, and you will find everybody, including Terry Wingham in about 72 hours. Um, Anyway, Terry, um, let's talk about a fresh chapter and the kinds of programs. My first question is, I I know that it's volunteer and it's for cancer survivors. My first two big questions are, um, is there a criteria in terms of survivorship? Is it newly treated? Anybody? Can it be long-term survivors? Um, uh, Do you have to be past treatment? It's a great question. And so I want to focus mostly on our Odyssey program, which is the flagship program that we piloted in India and have run in multiple regions around the world. And that's a two-week on-site immersive volunteer travel experience that's open to men and women of all ages and all types of cancer. Um, For the international travel component, they have to have a medical clearance form signed by their doctor that says that they're stable enough to travel overseas, that they can sort of spend it pretty full days, mornings, volunteerings, and afternoons doing a blend of cultural activities and psychosocial support activities. I would say that most people who find us, 
they wouldn't be newly diagnosed. I think when you're newly diagnosed, you're trying to figure out which way is up. Um, and so it's more people who are either through the thick of active treatment or they are a long-term patient or survivor. Um, we've had people 10 to 15 years out of treatment that just really didn't have the chance to process some of those deeper emotions. Mm -hmm. I think you know, we, we have a self-selecting population. Everybody who is interested in our Odyssey program applies, um, has a chance to speak uh, in an interview with one of our alumni to really understand what the program is and what it isn't. We do some, we're not therapists, we don't pretend to be, but we do um, some pretty uh, deep conversations as part of our program and really teach people about how to hold space and to be present in other people's stories without trying to fix them. And so that kind of deeper emotional work isn't for everybody. And so we look for people who are interested in the service and who are also seeking something in their lives. That could be different for everybody in terms of what they're seeking, but they usually feel stuck and that they're looking for a way to reclaim their story. Um, and then usually a second interview would happen with either myself or a program consultant uh, who also facilitates with us um, on site. And then once people are selected and we, we do our best to create opportunities for as many people as possible, um, there is a program fee involved where people can fundraise or pay, but we also have scholarships and fellowships available where people who receive financial assistance come up with a pay it forward plan in their community. So rather than fundraising, they're volunteering and it could be in their local community or it could be within the cancer advocacy community. But it's this idea that everybody is empowered to make this experience a reality um, and that we try to create diverse, we use the word tribe, so diverse tribes on each of our experiences so that people can really learn and grow from each other as well as from the people that they engage with through the volunteering and the cultural activities. Really fascinating. So what's in, um, so the, Volunteers have to get themselves over to India, South Africa, Peru. So they have to obviously pay for their own air. On the ground, what is covered and what do you have to pay for? Just to give everybody a sense of, you know, is this program something you can afford to do or not? Right. If you don't have so a scholarship. Yes, so we're working towards a day when we will have a sliding scale of yeah. um, program fees. That's the vision, and and we've been really fortunate to uh, collaborate with Lily, one of our partners on our Peru Odyssey program, where they help to not only offset some of the costs, but also provide scholarships. But mm -hmm. the program fee is set at just shy of $5,000, and that includes everything on site as well as extensive online curriculum before and after travel. So mm -hmm. it's a two-week immersive experience built into a six-month online framework. That being said, we have people who may be fundraising $500 is a stretch for them, or they can't fundraise anything other than mm -hmm. perhaps their airfare. They would qualify for either a scholarship, which is partial support, or a fellowship, which is full support. A fellowship has a broader commitment where they commit to being engaged uh, with a fresh chapter for a period of a year. Um, but we found that by creating that sense of ownership and empowerment, we make sure that the people involved are there for the right reasons, and they're really interested in both serving and growing and healing, not just interested in a free trip somewhere in the world. Yeah, this is not a free trip. It's a commitment, ladies. Yes. Uh, so I, I see you've got a lot of ambassadors on afreshchapter.com. I would think some of those probably were fellowship um, recipients who are continuing to commit because you, you made it clear you've got to you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get, you got to give, uh, and this is a giving program, not a getting program. You will get something out of it, but you will give a lot more, right? 
Absolutely. And and what we found is that um, we've really tried to build a community where our ambassadors, so these are alumni, um, the fellowship program is relatively new. So many of them fundraised to go, but just felt really compelled to stay engaged with the program. Um, we've built the organization largely through skilled volunteers and through alumni support, but they have the opportunity to really help shape the direction that we're going. You know, we have from an organization standpoint, the vision of where we're going, but I really believe, and this is my headhunter recruiter roots in figuring out what people's skills and talents and um, strengths are, and then finding ways to empower them to be part of building this much broader movement. And so it's been really rewarding to see Fresh Chapter become so much more than my story. It's really the collective stories of our broader community. Well, um, good for you. And and yes, you definitely, you can tell from the incredible board of directors that you have assembled that you um, have utilized your headhunting skills to their fullest because it's quite um, a high caliber group of people and, and with really great bios on them, Terry. Um, very impressive. Um, I'm curious, how many uh, individuals have gone through a Fresh Chapter, have participated in a Fresh Chapter programs? What are some of your stats on this? Yeah, so we've done 17 programs total, both through our Odyssey programs as well as advocacy leaders programs in the U.S., Um, over 225 alumni, and we've served more than 16,000 volunteer hours at home and around the world to date. That's terrific. That really is. Um, I think it's a great way to blend service and uh, seeing the world under one. Now, are there programs for non-travelers or people who don't want to live, you know, leave their home, like United States? For any Absolutely. Time? So, one of the things we're really excited about. So, we have our, our you know, our flagship Odyssey program. We're developing mm-hmm. a new leadership program for cancer advocates. That's a spinoff from what we've been doing. There's this program in Kenya, which um, we talked about. But then mm-hmm. we're really looking at Odyssey 2.0, which is an online expansion of our programs, mm-hmm. and looking at facilitated online cohorts with potentially a much shorter one or two day experience on site in the US or a pure online version. So we're in the development phase of that. And we mm-hmm. hope to pilot two cohorts starting in January. So opportunities for people to be involved in a multi-week program that would happen virtually via Zoom chats as well as online um, community and conversation. One of the things that we've found from our alumni that they cherish so much about the programs is the bonds that they form with the other members of their tribe. And so really looking at how can we take those learnings and create that opportunity virtually without losing that sense of deep connection and community. So we're in the development phase of that right now. Uh, really sounds exciting, Terry. Um, it, what are you? What are your challenges? I think you know our program is an expensive program to run mm-hmm. in terms of. Yeah. Um, It's very high touch, both in terms of the two weeks on site for the Odyssey, as well as the hours and hours and hours that go into helping people prepare the sort of support along the way. So I think for us, it's been about finding the right model to make the organization sustainable. And so, you know, really for us, we haven't grown through galas and golf tournaments and the more traditional um, fundraising mechanism. We do have named scholarship funds and we, every donation that comes into a fresh chapter via our website goes directly to either the general fresh chapter scholarship fund or the Melissa Carroll legacy fund, Mm -hmm. but really looking at scaling our growth through our corporate partnership model. Um, So, you know, our program with Lily has been a really wonderful four-year partnership so far where our Peru Odyssey is 10 employees of 
Lily who've been affected by cancer alongside 10 members of the general population. So everybody who's involved is a cancer survivor. Um, but in, in creating a structure that has that corporate model, it allows us to make our programs more accessible to people in the general population. Well, hopefully, you know, um, more corporations, I, you know, I truly believe more corporations need to be more sensitive to um, employee welfare and creating programs and supporting programs like this, um, particularly when they're also in the healthcare industry, because they're all mm-hmm. making beaucoup de money that they should be spending it. And it's, I would think, I would think, but I'm not a tax expert, but I would think that it would be a tax advantage as well to support a program like this. Um as well. And, and, and with that in mind, are donations tax deductible depending on the country you live in? Yeah. So U.S. donations via our website are tax deductible. Right. Um, and again, goes direct to our scholarship fund. Yeah, because you're fiscally sponsored. I'm on the website now, Project of Social Environmental Entrepreneurs, SEE. So even though it's a, it's a .com, it is still a nonprofit. I want to underscore that because a lot of people look at the, the URL and, and, and don't go any further. And I think that's really important that this is a mission-driven um, organization um, uh, and, and that there is a tax deduction if you're in the United States, because I don't think about Canada, um, for supporting it. Uh, Terry, I'm curious, you're uh, 39 now? Just turned 40. Just turned 40. Um, I liked my 40s, by the way. Well, no, my <laughs> 30s, my 30s were the best. My 40s were pretty good. The 50s sucked because I got sick. Um, how are you doing yourself um and i didn't ask this and it it may be too private but did you i know you kind of agonize about getting married and having children did you freeze any eggs before you started treatment I did not. At the time mm-hmm. in 2009, I went to see a fertility uh, doctor. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the, the what they said to me is the molecular structure of eggs wasn't strong enough or didn't have mm-hmm. a great track record. And so I was given the option to freeze embryos, but I was single at the time. And I just mm-hmm. wasn't, I was so overwhelmed with everything that I just didn't right. feel ready to select a sperm donor and make that happen. Right. Um, And so, and they did say to me, you know, the chemo was supposed to be fertility sparing, but, you know, my life has taken this whole other direction in terms of growing the organization. And so in many ways, um, yeah, motherhood has been different than I thought it would be. And I have the chance to nurture people, but I don't have my own family. Um, I have had my fallopian tubes removed as a, as a first step to reducing my ovarian cancer risk and have to make a decision about getting my ovaries removed as well, which is not... As, as many of your listeners know, I'm sure as these things are not easy for any of us to decide. Well, particularly when you're of childbearing age, um, uh, they're not easy. And that's why I'm bringing it up because there are maybe listeners or their daughters who are diagnosed at an early age. And it is something, if you were of childbearing age when you were diagnosed, it is appropriate and probably smart to discuss that with your doctors and your OB to see what your options are. Because if you really do want to have children, there are options such as you know, freezing your eggs, um, if if you so choose, and many um, chemotherapies do um, affect your fertility. You know, I was diagnosed later, so it really didn't matter when 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 I was told I had BRCA two. I was like, take my ovaries and fallopian tubes. I don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want ovarian mm-hmm. cancer. But you know, my my life, everyone's life is different. I never intended to have children, so losing my ovaries and fallopian tubes, no big deal. You know, get rid of them. Right. Right. <laughs> but it is a big decision. When you're younger, because you, you know, and it is a choice you can make. Mm-hmm. 
Are you comfortable with your choice right now? Yeah, I think I think it's I am comfortable with my choices to date. And, and I think that, you know, it doesn't make that any easier. You know, I still right. I just was actually doing an interview on another podcast about motherhood and, you know, the grief of losing the dream that you had for your life. And I think a lot of young cancer survivors grapple with that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. You know, turning 40 has helped me get closer to a sense of peace about right. it. Um, but yeah, it's not so cut and dried from, from my perspective. So what is your message to women, um, your younger self and Mm -hmm. to those women who are younger, who may be told that they have breast cancer? I think it's to give yourself permission to, to grieve the loss of the life that you thought you would have. You know, I think Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a really important element to being positive and finding new purpose in your life and making meaning out of your experience alongside the ability to grieve. And I was very fortunate to have a phenomenal psychologist who helped me through that process. And so, um, yeah, to, to allow yourself the time to be sad and to, to feel all those feelings and then be able to pick yourself up and say, okay, what now? And where do I go from here? You know, I'm going to echo that because I didn't do that. And, and I think that I regret, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life because that's one of the things I learned about cancer, stop regretting things. But one of the things I would do differently, and I'm very, having reached my 10-year mark, I'm very reflective on that as I update my book, but also work on one for healthy survivorship. One of the things I would do differently, Terry, is that I did work harder. I pushed the button. I wanted to be the hero. I was going to be on top. I was going to prove everybody you can run a business and get through cancer and juggle the Juggling IV and a backberry, just fine. <laughs> and it all kind of collapsed unexpectedly about 24 months after that, after treatment right. ended. I went, whoa. And I took, went to one psychologist for one meeting and, and unfortunately she was not part of my insurance program and it cost more than a facial, which would have made me a lot happier. But um, she said, you're not giving, you're angry. Mm-hmm. you're very angry about what happened to you and the people, my father had also died. I was angry that he left. I was, I had anger and, and a lot of it was that it wasn't my life. I, you know, a lot of my life I had lived, but I did not give myself time to grieve. And I'm going to go on a limb and say to everybody listening, I think you're going to agree. Grieving is not a sign of weakness. It is natural to want to to allow time to grieve after a profound loss or sizable upset in your life, whether it's cancer, divorce, loss of a loved one, you name it. If you don't allow yourself time to grieve, there's going to be a, a, a hotbed of emotions that are going to just gather and gather and gather and gather and gather inside of you. And you've got to find a way to get them out instead of suppress them because they will come out and manifest somehow, some way. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. My therapist used to say what you resist persists. <laughs> oh, that's such Which, a great line. And, yeah. and, you know, seeking help, whether it's a support group, I was not a support group girl. I was not a sharer. Um, a psychologist or a therapist should have, would have, could have, didn't. Um, I did it more through writing and exercising and, and, and finding ways to self-care, which I advocate. You know, I became very selfish about taking care of myself, uh, which I still advocate and stand for. But if you feel you need to talk to someone or need help, seek help. 
it will make a big difference um, in terms of processing what you're going through. And you will need to process it no matter what it is, right? You will. And and one of the themes we talk about in our program is this ability to live in a space of contradiction where there's room for the highs and the lows simultaneously. And that, you know, even people who are living with late stage disease and are grateful to be alive can still be angry and sad and afraid of the future, that it's okay to hold conflicting emotions at the same time and to give yourself permission to feel all of it. Exactly. It's, it, it's, it's actually you're human. Mm-hmm. It's human to be conflicted. And, and I think it's really important to not listen to uh, people who don't, you know, really understand what you're going through. I went through a lot of, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, get on with your life. Oh, stop being, stop living in your cancer world or, you know, oh my God. I, I actually wrote about it in my blog last week about the, the, some of the most inappropriate and insensitive things people tell you thinking they're meaning well. Right. And you just go, uh, so I think that, um, you know, what you're doing is terrific, Terry. Um, one, it, it's helped you heal, um, through your own experience, personal experience, and you found a way to help others. I don't know if the word healing is right, but, but just resetting, Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's really more of a reset. Um, you live with the fact that you had cancer all of your life. It never goes away. It really doesn't. It just, it's always going to be there as a reminder, whether it's you take off your shirt and look at your reconstructed breasts or you, your eyebrows are not quite back. Like mine never really grew back great. Or you sometimes go into that mental burp. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had, I had severe chemo brain, which was also a big issue, but, um, reminder, but, but, but. The key is that you do have, you have been given a a new chapter and a new opportunity to, you know, live life the way you want on your terms. And you're doing a really good job doing that with a fresh chapter. Thank you so much. And so are you. It's wonderful to connect and to hear more about your work. Um, Yeah, we all need support along the way. Absolutely. And just a reminder um, to everyone that uh, this is a program, it's, it's, it's a volunteer-supported program, but donor-supported program as well. Um, if you want more information, you can go to www.afreshchapter.com, and there are opportunities to apply for scholarships, fellowships, um, volunteer opportunities, just a lot out there. I'm looking forward to seeing what else you're going to be planning down the road, Terry. Thank you so much. We're continuing to dream big. So appreciate the opportunity to share my story and our work today. Thank you. And for all of you listening, I hope this inspired you. My message always is stay fearless no matter what. uh, And you deserve to be fabulous and always take care of yourself. Always know that you have the ability to make the choices you want to live life on your terms and also make a Make a purpose in uh, in the world, and and I'm gonna. I wrote this down as we were talking. It's gonna be my next blog post. Think boldly, live purposely. Mm, All right, love that. Think boldly, live purposely. Thank you for joining me. Uh, and again, check out this show and all of them on iHeart.com and the free iHeart app if you want to hear it over again. And please share it and please check out afreshchapter.com. Thank you and signing out. Have a fabulous week. Hey! 